welcome to the GNT Show. Alright, welcome everyone to a finals edition. First week of finals on the GNT Show. And once again, I'm joined by my co-host with the most, a man who this week was forcibly removed and arrested to make from Belmore Car Park to make room for a drive through vaccination clinic, G. I'm a little bit disappointed I was forcibly removed. They spared me the $5,000 fine though, but it's all about vaccination, vaccination, vaccination. Is it true that when they came to get you that all they found was a Ben Barber poster and you handcuffed to one of the polls saying, hell no, we won't go until we win the premiership again? It was one of those fake handcuffs because if it was real, I would think I'd be stuck there for the next 10 years. Not a good place to be. Is it also true that they had to do some deep cleaning after you had been squatting there for three months? The sanitizer was out in force. But if you read the reports, probably a safer place to be than Bankstown Canterbury Hospital. So yeah. That's true. So Belmore Car Park has been used as a drive-through vaccine hub. So G is aimlessly wandering the streets doing this podcast on his phone. (laughs) Yes. Lucky I've got reception. Well, you've got to move around to get your reception, don't you? I have to, like, take calls upside down. So all those new yoga poses are great. It could, could practice. This will be a quicker podcast, I think, this week. And we'll, <laughs> we'll try and keep it under four hours this week. So should we start with the news of the week, G? Of course, yes. There's heaps of news. Was, it, was there anything that caught your eye? Or, or should, do you want me to go through the list like we normally do? I will start off with an apology to um, NRL women's. Um, I mistakenly hoped that the NRL would possibly do something better oh, last week. I was, well, I was, go- I was absolutely going to nail you about that. And literally the next day I read that they didn't even ask the Queensland government for a quarantine plan for the women's game. So um, my hope has basically disappeared. <laughs> I don't know what to say after that. Oh, you should apologise. I don't know what the hell you were thinking last week. So just on that, not only did they not ask the Queensland government for permission to have a hug, I mean, okay? No. If you're not going to ask the government, why did you make the Warriors players fly over? I'm not commenting because I thought, I know they stuffed up. I didn't realise how bad and how incompetent it actually was. And for all their troubles, all the NRL women's players have been offered three and a half thousand dollars the centrally contracted yep. players will get 8 to 12k depending on their contracts yep. but everyone else is getting 3 and a half k the rugby league players association has obviously fired back at this it's stingy from the NRL they've done wrong by the NRL women's game they should acknowledge it and try and fix it i did some back of the envelope calculus okay i know you can't work a calculator i've got an abacus i am pretty sure someone at NRL headquarters could have done this same calculation that I did, okay? There are six teams in the NRL women's comp. They have a squad of 24. Yes. If they were to offer 10 grand to each player, it would cost the game 1.44 million in total, okay? Yep. Some estimates are it's cost them somewhere in the vicinity of $20 million to host all the players in Queensland, yep. and they couldn't spare 1.44 million for the poor NRL women's players. This is a schmozzle of the highest order. Don't even worry about the money component. That's phase two. I assumed mistakenly that they'd actually asked the Queensland government for a bubble process. Can't even ask for permission to host an NRL women's bubble. You can't have the comp. 
I mean, I know they've lost a lot of money, but that extra one million to keep the women's game going is paltry, and they should stump it, stump up for it. I mean, Queensland paid four point six million to host the NRL Grand Final. Yeah, give some of it to the women's game. Remember, I was talking to you about a lot of these professional sports here. They embrace women being part of the game, but it feels somewhat tokenistic a lot of the time as well. Don't pretend like you're this great defender of of women's sport after your performance last <laughs> Please. week. Please, women's issue. It's just disappointing. I mean, really, my hope has disappeared within a few days it just gets extinguished i don't know what you're expecting from them so how about some kind of freaking normal consideration of the comp what about that is that that hard obviously yes that's right so so let's move on to we did mention that the the grand final is going to be played at suncorp stadium this year the queensland government did play 4.6 million now there was no other option i was about to say why <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Abdo and Peter Volandis, they never cease to amaze me. How they got $4.6 million out of the Queensland government when the NRL had no other option. <laughs> I mean... I mean, how does that negotiation go, Anastasia? We um, would like you to bid. So what are our competitors offering? Isn't that kind of the end of the discussion? I mean, it's just, it, it strikes me as... um. A bit of the Homer Simpson <laughs> negotiating yeah. tactics, <laughs> at, at, or, or, or blackjack. Nineteen, hit me. Twenty, hit me. Twenty-one, hit me. Don't. <laughs> it's, uh, fairness, I reckon it was a little bit of a gift to the NRL, obviously, because they have moved the games up there. They've spread rugby league, uh, like a lot of NRL games, to the regions in regional Queensland. Well, I think it's been great. So maybe it was just a little. That bit, has been good. Yeah, a little bit of a kind they of. They should gift. do it in New South Wales when they open the complex uh, absolutely. next year. I would rather have ten or twelve thousand dollars in a Dubbo or a Bathurst or a people Wagga, you mean as opposed to dollars. Ten or twelve thousand people, rather than having twelve thousand people at Stadium Australia or wherever it's like cavernous, and you may as well not have anybody there. Well, I agree with that. Should we move on to more news? Big news of the week of last week, and it feels like eternity ago, is the trial by media of Madge Maguire continuing the schmozzle that is the Tigers review. Yes. Lee Hadjipantelis um, <laughs> is conducting a review by the media. Yes. And he said, we're going to ask the players. And all the players have come out in support of Madge. So what do they do now? I mean, it was front page news for days and days and days. Uh, some journos like James Super are reporting that Madge is gone. A lot, of, a lot of journos are saying that. And some are saying the longer it takes for the Tigers to make a decision, the safer Madge is. So it depends on where you're getting your news from at the moment. But it's ridiculous that this is playing out in the press. <laughs> Poor Tigers supporters. <laughs> I'm not surprised, to be honest. He's obviously driving the agenda and it's kind of backfired because the players are like, no, nah, we're happy with the coach, we're keeping him. Who knows what they say in private, right? Because it's not a good look if the players come out and actually say, no, we want the coach gone. The, the coaching fraternity is a bit tight, I mentioned before. So, you know, you wonder if that plays into their honesty. Well, it's not. It's clearly not tight between Ivan Cleary and Wayne Bennett. That's a very different discussion altogether. There are a few coaches that don't like each other, but... Anthony Griffin feels... Yes, exactly. That's another one. Um, so you kind of do wonder how honest, the pl- transparent the players are, but they would not be openly behind him if most of the players wanted him gone. They'd probably no comment or something like that. So obviously, it looks like a majority of the squad is happy with Madge and wants him to stay, and now it's backfired. Doesn't the review have to include encapsulate the front office and doesn't need to be done by someone who's independent of the club no that's like the front office doing a review on themselves it's not going to happen they're only reviewing the football department you need someone independent to review the football department right and and the commercial department at the tigers is doing very well they've got the center of excellence coming up at concord yeah they're financially in a very, very sound position. It's just on the field that it's a schmozzle. The, the front office is not going to look into themselves, are they? If you look at the, the Bulldog saga, that was basically, you know, there was going to be, we spoke about an EGM getting called and 
the board left. So uh, that did result in change, but not because they wanted to go. They thought they were doing a great job. You wonder what's happening at the Tigers and how you how they're accountable. For all of this well good luck tigers fans we'll probably get more i think the review is due to conclude in the next couple of weeks so we'll know more about them the next big piece of news was paul green stepped down as coach yeah. of queensland origin after queensland asked him does he have ambitions to coach in the nrl and he said yes so then they came to a mutual because they wanted someone dedicated to the queensland oh my role. god really like what do they want to do uncover yep. The 32nd player that's sitting around that's eligible for queensland i mean how hard is it to be dedicated to coaching Queensland instead of Origin. It's a part-time job, let's be honest. Yeah, but it's during the middle of the season. I kind of get it. It's not like it's at the end of the season like it was. Your focus is taken away from your club commitments. It's paying your salary, the majority of your salary. I suppose if you look at it that way, but he doesn't have a head coaching gig, right? Yeah, well, I know. That's right. That's the ridiculousness of this. They wanted to go in a younger direction. So they're asking Wayne Bennett, yeah. Wayne Bennett, who yeah, who ruled himself <laughs> out. So. So, so apparently what they want to do oh, is they want to get Billy Slater in as coach and they want to have Mal as his uh, mentor in the coaching role. So they have to apply to the Emperor to make this happen. What do you think about Billy Slater coaching Origin with Mal? Oh, let me put my cards on the table. I think if you're an Australia coach, you can't be involved in either states. It's actually a good point. I, I do wonder if he's the Australian coach still. I mean, how does that work? Don't you favour some of your players from a selection process? Obviously, there's, there's a bias, an inherent bias that gets placed into that situation when he's, he's coaching. Don't have an issue necessarily because the NRL is just ridden with conflicts of interest. So it's normal. Famously, Cooper Cronk being employed by two teams. Half the um, board of the rights holder, Channel 9, being part of one club's board for a long time. Because it's so normal, you probably say who cares because it's just state of origin. But if it's settled and governed properly, then in theory, he shouldn't be there. It should be Billy Slater without Mal Meninga. Let's be honest, state of origin is the pinnacle and they sell it as the pinnacle. So I suppose Australia is a step down from state of origin. So if you look at it that way... Which is ridiculous. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. That's why Mal Meninga... No one's even brought up that Mal Meninga shouldn't be the coach. It's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Well, in fairness, Mal hasn't played a test in two years. Yeah, well, that is also the case. He needs something to do. He's bored. I want Mal's job. 450 grand a year, and he hasn't had to select a team into. Well, he's great. He watches the footy, turns up on Fox and going up. Oh, do you reckon this team might come back? No, the crap. It's the game's over. And that's it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's move on to some other stories. Again, I love the NRL. I mean, every week we have a list of stories like this. Now, the NRL is tr- is putting a proposal to the AF, just the AFL, the NRL Players Union, and the proposal is to increase the maximum player fines from 50000 to 130000 I can't believe it, to be honest. Far out, man. Like, you know what? These guys are not society's barometer. Like, to find these... They're kids, right? A lot of them. To find these kids because they've made a mistake here or there, $100,000 or $120,000, I mean, come on, where are we going here? I can imagine if if something's ultra serious, they're probably going to get deregistered and lose their contract anyway. And yet, you still want to make the penalties that punitive from a fine perspective as well. I really think it smacks of managing News Limited's reaction in the paper because a player does something wrong. And you know what? When you allow that to fester and allow the media to constantly win when they're and salacious gossip then you tell them to get lost like don't punish the players because the newspapers want to print gossip the afl doesn't do crap like this like they they stand up to the press 
I'm not saying they're perfect, but they don't throw all their players under the bus necessarily like the NRL constantly does. I'm sorry, I feel very strongly about this. Like, well, I knew if we, I knew if we did this pod for 29 weeks, you would eventually come up with a good point. You know what I mean? Like, imagine any young kid that goes to work all of a sudden does one thing wrong and then they're fined 50 grand. Like, I mean, a whole year's salary. I mean, come on. But for some reason, the public seems to eat this up. <laughs> Well, I agree with you. I think 130 grand is ridiculous. I mean, what do you have to do to find, get fined 130 grand? Like, Josh Dugan, would he get fined 100 grand for feeding animals at night? Like, how does that how does that work? Good segue. Good segue as someone who doesn't watch the news. Yes. Gee, because he did get fined. He got fined 75 grand over the two incidents. Okay, so yep. for feeding the animals. <laughs> now, Josh... Josh Dugan, it was one for each animal. In fact, you know what? I'd actually give him a, I'd give him a pay rise because it's such a ridiculous excuse that you got to give him something for creativity. I'm going there to feed the animals. This is why you will never coach an NRL team. So Josh Dugan, look, look, look this is this is one of those funny stories during the week. So Josh Dugan got fined seventy five yeah. grand. He then got sacked by yes. the Sharks with six weeks to go on his contract. A bit sneaky by okay. the Sharks. Yes. Yeah. He was still owed 120 grand, okay? And I think that I thought that was disgraceful until I worked out how it works. Yes. Because he's not a registered player, he doesn't have to pay the 75 grand fine. The 120 grand that he was due was gross and the 75k fine was net. <laughs> so 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 <laughs> So, so what's the fine look? Made it look like they've done something. What what Cronulla have actually done is found a way to save 120 grand off the cap and not have Josh Dugan pay the fine. Mate, you know what? <laughs> I have to say that is And Josh Dugan is better off. Cronulla is better off and the only people who miss out are the NRL. It's brilliant. I have to say, I didn't know that. And that's magnificent. And you know what? 100% that is Dino Metatesta's doing. Has to be. God, what a... Oh, oh, mate. You know what? That's fantastic. So, I've got to say, that's... Uh, <laughs> I'm here going, I feel sorry for Josh Dugan. And then now I'm it's like, the best. actually, he got off pretty well. That's really great. Because so, at first I was really angry. I was. Why would you do yes, this with six weeks exactly. to go? And then you do a bit of digging and you work out. Okay, 120 grand. He's on the highest tax bracket. So they save 120 grand off the ta- yep. cap. Highest tax bracket is, what is it, 46 and yes. a half cents or something. So so Josh Dugan's missing out on, call it 65 yeah. grand. He still hasn't paid the 75 grand. So he fine. doesn't need to, right? The NRL confirmed he's not registered, so they can't chase up the fine. The fine is net. So Josh <laughs> Dugan's get a raise. There you go. So is Cronulla. So is Cronulla. You reckon Dino, Dino you called him in and said, I love the animal excuse? Absolutely yes. stitched up the NRL. Good on him. Absolutely you know stitched up Good the on NRL. Him. Good on him. In fact, Dino Metatesta might be changing his surname to Politis's. That work around the salary cap, magic. I love it. How, how brilliant <laughs> is that? Brilliant. All right. All right. That is brilliant. So let's move on to some other stories as well. <laughs> That's great. Honestly, good, I'm like it? reading the headlines. Jesus, poor Josh Dugan. That's poor form. Now I'm like, hey, it actually worked out. He came out ahead. He came out ahead. After being fined what appears to be $200,000. But anyway... Yeah, correct. So let's move on to the Dally M's this year. It's just before the grand final. No. Really? The Dally M's is actually split over two nights, the 20th and the 27th. So it's next Monday and the Monday Is that right? They didn't? Yes, they haven't released the format. 
So what do you think of this? Now, we haven't seen the format. I, um, I, I did, honestly did not read that at all anywhere. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with the format. Yeah, it's a weird format. Will be a weird yeah. format. Blake Ferguson looks like he's actually going to move to rugby, but in Japan. And he's going to go to a Michael Chika. He's a football. He's the football. He's the rugby director of a second division Japanese rugby club, and looks like he's convinced Blake Ferguson to go and play. Over Why not? There. Probably for seven hundred and fifty-five thousand dollars in second division in Japan. Japan's a bit more expensive than Australia, though. So. Yep. Um, but they get paid a lot of money. I remember Craig seeing an interview with Craig Wing, and he was like, "Look, I got paid almost a million dollars a year to play for like twelve or fifteen games, and the intensity wasn't yeah. that great." And he said it was it was just great to you know experience the culture, but he goes I also got paid a lot of money, so he goes I won both ways, so it should yeah. be good. I think it'll be good for Blake Ferguson. I don't think he's going to go well. Whether he goes well or not, I think it's it's a good experience to go play somewhere. I don't like think Japan. I don't think you can play him as a winger. I think he might have to be an outside centre, just a bit of a battering ram. I would say so. I mean, it was a great game between the Wallabies and the Springboks last night. Did you manage to watch any of that? No, I didn't. I have to get. I have to sum up whether I want to get my seventy fifth streaming service in Stan Sport. Well, this would have been easy for you because it was on Channel Nine. Well, I mean. <laughs> Once again, I was watching something else. What, what did it interfere with? Um, I was the actually, Mickey no. Mouse, the original Mickey Mouse, Steamboat Willie. Close, actually, close. <laughs> no, close enough. I was watching The Witches with my with my daughter, which was pretty cool. It looks like the James McManus concussion case is going to be settled out of court, and there's Misty going outside to do her thing. I'm glad she's not doing it on camera this week. So James. James McManus's concussion case looks like it's going to be settled out. I did see that. So the NRL, yeah, the NRL lives to fight another day on that. Yeah, but, you know, that's okay from a settlement perspective, and hopefully they'll look after um, James McManus. But they really should get, like we said, their ass into gear about this and really start to develop something that's very proactive and really um, works with the players that have played the game in the past and that will play in the future as well. So hopefully this sort of wakes them up and gets them out of a bit of their cruise along mode in terms of concussions. All right, let's hope that that works for everybody at the Knights. Um, another article that I did see, and I actually think she's a really good journalist, is Fatma Kado. Yep. From the Daily Telegraph. She wrote a quite a good article on the Storm recruitment and the dossiers they keep, and they don't know they're tracking them. And it was a bit ironic because you and I were talking about it the other day. And 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 it is, and they've got a scout in Queensland permanently yes, based, of course. and they've got dossiers, and they track them from when they're kids. They and do they meet people around That's right. them before they even introduce themselves to the player. So it is quite. It's 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 the way recruitment should work. If if you haven't read it, um, I know it's behind a paywall, but it is actually a really good article. I'm not surprised in any way, and like you said, we've spoken about this off pod before, where I said they did you did you read the. I, I didn't actually read the article. I didn't didn't actually come across it. But the thing is, right, like we've spoken about how they have an interest in a player for three or four years. And then when they're able to make a move, they make a move for the player that, that they've identified. So it's pretty obvious they're tracking players. Remus Smith is a good example, right? A more recent one where you brought up that he was asked to go to the store many years ago. He went through the Paris system and the Bulldogs, and the Storm was still interested in keeping tabs on him, right? And three or four years later, or five years later, bang, they strike and, you know, they've obviously identified them from an athletic perspective, spoken to, like you say, people around them. That's a bit I probably wasn't aware of, but they obviously keep a track on these people over years. So they, 
there's no surprise that they've got files on these players. Pappenheiser was another one. Addo Carr was another one. You know, and they're just streets ahead of everybody. Everyone else seems well, to... Well, it says, it says Pappenheisen was one that they mentioned in the article yeah. rather than Remus Smith. He's the most recent one, right? Pappenheisen was the example. Remus Smith wasn't mentioned in this story. So, and, and what they did was he had a lot of injuries and they were looking for a Billy Slater replacement. And before they even recruited him and signed him, they flew him down to Melbourne and the medical staff had a look at him and said, yes, we can fix his hamstrings. You tell me what other club does this. There's absolutely no way any of these other clubs do this. No way. You can tell just by their recruitment. Say, look, do we want a Billy Slater replacement? Every other team would have just said, sorry, you're too small. The same way you watch Reese Walsh play and the Broncos initially said, no, nah, he's too small. Now they've seen him actually play in first grade and they're like, oh shit, we want him back. You couldn't see that when he was playing for you. It's a very narrow, they've got a very blinkered view, whereas I think the Storm are more looking at traits and attributes of these players, not always the size and what they can do with their strengths. You can see that in the way they target players. They're, they're, they're streets ahead of everybody. They really are and have been for a long time long time except the roosters i imagine would do some something similar the roosters are similar they just they just don't recruit out of queensland they do it out of yes. sydney the problem is the sydney clubs are too sydney centric i think the sydney clubs do this as well i think they don't do it you got to remember melbourne access that queensland based players a lot better than anyone else the sydney clubs are sydney centric and you've got to remember, Queensland is the heartland. Remember the QRL? Up until the mid-80s, the QRL was right up there with the New South Wales Rugby League, right? Yep. They're still producing players. So those players are still getting produced. It's just that the Sydney clubs are so Sydney-centric. With COVID, like, they haven't been able to send scouts up there. I don't think every club's got a scout based up, up Mate, there. Mate, there's too many instances, even in recent history, where there's players up there and they're out of sight, out of mind. You fall in love. Like, I spoke to you about the other day. I was watching the coverage and I didn't know Isaac Lumi Lumi. For all his faults, right? I like to call him bedroom Yes. Life. You know, he's a Barala Bears junior, which is in the nursery of, say, the Bulldogs Junior League. It's not about whether he's going to turn into a superstar or not. It's about considering some of the players that have come through the system. You couldn't tell that this guy had any talent and somehow he ended up at the Sharks and then the Storm. Like, it's not about that he's turned into a good player. It's about those kids usually are standouts when they're 15, 16. He was a New South Wales developer, yet he's in your backyard, but for some reason, they didn't pick him up. And I'm sure that that's, there's obvious candidates like that that sometimes fall out. Their net isn't cast wide enough where the Storm identifies people early. Munster, another one. The Storm picked him out of nowhere. Like, there's so many instances where they get a player that, hasn't quite made it elsewhere or no one has any interest in and they developed them into honestly fantastic players jerome hughes he was available to anybody brian norrie when they they won the comp in 2012 he was their starting prop they got him out of the bush three weeks into the season and he was fantastic he was brilliant you know like they're, they're just they're just that's how we found you for this pod <laughs> out G. of the bush you yeah just, it's uh um, you were just flipping around <laughs> hanging off the just, trees just you and the yeah. cats <laughs> rolling up the hay and 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 we said hey you look like someone who only watched three, who can watch three but, games of rugby but league. But you know what, mate? I'm really passionate about this because there's so many players that don't get an opportunity that are so talented because of whatever perspective. Like Jai Field, I went to see him a couple of times. Like He never got given a fair go. That guy had speed to burn and good playmaking, yet no one really wanted to give him a go because he's too small. Look, gee, they're all in different shapes and sizes, don't forget, right? So... Teams like Penrith and Parramatta have really deep junior nurseries. So they don't really have to go looking in Queensland and those places, right? They, I'm sure they still do, but they don't need to. Someone like Melbourne doesn't have a natural nursery. Yeah, that's right. That's a very good point. The Roosters don't have a natural they nursery. They just buy everyone's nursery. It's a little bit horses for courses. Yep. And that's why some of these clubs become Sydney-centric. 
And Melbourne really did have to think outside of the square to survive because they haven't got a junior nursery to tap into. Uh, look, I think that's a ver- an excellent point because it is true. You think of Penrith and Parra, they have so many players coming through that you can't, you can't keep them all or you have to let some players go. But I do wonder, some of these other teams aren't looking at either hard enough either. But, but, but some of them, some of them like the Bulldogs where the junior nursery is drying up, it's not the same rugby league heartland. No, not at all. It's not not at all. Exactly right. And and similar with West Tigers, so they kind of got to go out towards Campbelltown now. The Tigers strangely seem to do a pretty good job in junior development for some reason, but it never translates yeah, because of the Campbelltown yeah, region. Yeah, like, but it doesn't seem to translate much. And Saints has got Wollongong, so Saints has always got good players coming through from mainly the Illawarra nursery, really. And Manly's Manly's tapped into Blacktown now, so they've all got their own different different ways to approach it i agree it's a bit haphazard you know i used to think the bulldogs don't have a good junior i I thought their their junior development was poor and and i still think it is it's not as good as other clubs but i also think for whatever reason you don't think they're first graders and they go elsewhere and they can play a role things are changing really quickly and you know you've got to identify where to go i mean you've got to Change it up a little bit. And I'm sure there's certain rules where if you play for a flag side or SG ball, you'd have to play in that local competition, etc. So there's that to consider too. But some teams do it better than others, for sure. All right. I'm going to save my favorite story about the Bulldogs till the end. And I think you'll know which one yes, it is. Yes, I do. Do you Adam know? Elliot. You do? Yeah, okay. We're going to come to it though. It's, the, it's more to it than that. Yeah, okay. Do you know the more no, to I it? Don't. I don't. All right. All right, there was an uproar that the NRL scheduled the prelim final at its normal time on a Saturday night at 7.50 yes. with Melbourne Storm hosting at the same time that the AFL Grand Finals on that involves two Melbourne clubs, the Western Bulldogs and the Melbourne Footy Club. But I feel a little bit for the NRL. This is the time it was always scheduled in Yeah, for. of course. The way it's played out is the Storm are playing in that one and it's, you know, it's bang up against the... the... Anyway, having said that, Having said that, before they released it, they knew all these facts before they released yep. it. They've now succumbed and moved it to 4 p.m. on the same day. So they don't want to go head to head. Yeah, I, look, I agree with that. Why not have it as a lead-in? People might be able to watch it in Melbourne if they're interested and then watch the AFL Grand Final build-up afterwards. So their team's playing. And like you say, it's just one of these things that's circumstance, right? It's always been scheduled for this time. And happens to be Melbourne, and then the Demons and the um the Bulldogs playing in the grand final for the Aussie Rules. So looking forward to that game as well, actually. Well, yeah, you didn't watch any of the footy, but you gave me a lot of score updates on the <laughs> AFL on the weekend. Watching both, yeah, go. So more uproar around Bernard Sutton. Oh, can we? The brother stop of Jared this? Sutton, Bernard Sutton, is consulting to the Storm, and the same thing that happened with Queensland Origin. Now he's not in the bubble with them; he lives on acreage at Foster. And he's telephoning in and zooming in. And they're worried about the inside tips that Bernard Sutton is going to give the store. What inside tips? They just turn up and whip everyone's ass. Like, I mean, do they even need inside tips? Like, really? I feel like... So because Bernard Sutton's brother referees in the NRL, that means he is never allowed to have a job associated with the with the rugby league ever again. Is that what we're saying? It's honestly ridiculous, seriously. I, I have no issue with that whatsoever. I don't understand even know what the uproar is about. What's he going to tell them? Hey, they're going to crack down on the wrestling. Okay, usually that stuff's all in the paper the few days beforehand anyway. Well, and if they want to find out what they're going to what they're going to um crack down on, they should just go to rugby league headquarters at Fox Studios and just listen to what Peter Volandis and um Andrew Abdo are talking about in the milk bath in the in the ancient Roman times with the togas yes. off and the sauna and grapes. 
It's grape season grapes, yet. That's right. So I think that's right. I think Tuesdays are grapes, grape days for Volandi. So now to my favorite story of the week. Not because he got sacked. He was released by Adam Elliott was released by the Bulldogs. But my favorite story of, of the week is for a couple of reasons. Arthur Laundy, who has no official role at the club other than sponsor, yes. okay, came out and expressed in the paper yes. how disappointed about Adam Elliott's sacking he was, which is the exact opposite I worked out of every other sport in the world where someone gets into a controversial situation, the sponsor rings up and says, we don't want our brand associated with it. No, no. Arthur Laundy is the exact opposite. He is disappointed that the Bulldogs are enforcing some behavioural standards. And then he went on a scathing or, or, or a passionate defence, passionate defence of Adam Elliott by saying this was an innocent situation as someone who's been in the hotel caper, pub caper for 60 plus years. Now, I resent, I, I don't think he can do his maths because 60 years is a really long time. I was going to time. say, what well, was he hanging out there when he was 10 or something? <laughs> <laughs> How does that work? And his defence, and his defence of... Adam Elliott was, I've spoken to him. He's a qualified physiotherapist. He was school captain. What does that have to do with what happened? That was his defense of Adam Elliott. He was school captain. He, he's just a good kid. When was the last time When was the last time someone in a court of law said, oh, he was school captain, Your Honor? Well, it sounds like we're short of physio, so we're trying to save costs. I mean, look... I'm all for him sticking up for him, but I'm like... Oh, the rumour is he's going to end up at the Tigers. Of course he is. Of course he is. I think that defence is actually quite funny, um, considering it was for apparently issues with alcohol, apparently. To be honest, Adam Elliott does do a lot of great work. Unless there are things that we don't know about, and sometimes with clubs, you know, T, that that stuff happens and they... Again, I don't. we don't know this for a fact, yes. but the bull, we know the Bulldog salary cap is really tight this year and next Correct, year. Correct, that's right. This just reeked to me of uh, just have, getting some space in the cap. And this is the thing that I'm uncomfortable with. I just thought it was an opportunistic move by the club to get rid of someone they've nurtured and brought through just for salary cap space. Now, I understand it from a purely clinical perspective, but to be honest, there's a human element and a culture element to clubs as well. Like, his misdemeanors, one was a Daily Telegraph sting that Andrew Webster wrote a great article about, where they would, which was actually farcical with telescopic lenses and all this other kind of stuff. And they turned something in nothing into a huge thing. And the second one was the Michael Leisha incident, which had nothing to do with the club whatsoever, right? Like zero. That's a personal matter outside of footy. Like we make fun of it and stuff like that. And, you know, we don't want to go anywhere near him with our partners or anything. And that's okay. But, you know... <laughs> you know what? He was best man at the wedding. No, I'll put don't. it to you that way. But... In his defense, that's a very personal matter outside of the club. And then this one was, okay, he got caught in the toilet and it's a silly thing to do, but a sackable offense, really? Like, I mean, if you look at those three misdemeanors, they're quite minor. They're quite minor. Jai Arrow, what he did, it's worse than any of Adam Elliott's things and all worse than three of them put together. Matt Lodge. Matt Lodge, right. But the thing is, the other clubs don't give a shit what the media says. And for some reason, my club always seems to kowtow to the media. But the thing is, I also think, like you say, there's a bit of opportunism there to try and go, okay, we can get rid of this guy because he's costing us a lot on the cap. And we don't think he's that good anymore. Let's get rid of him. And I just don't like that type of culture in the club. I don't think it's a good one to be going towards. Like you say, there's room for a club guy that does... You know, you keep him around. Like, you're better off having him there than a, another journeyman that comes in. Like, he's been at the club for a while, but he's obviously on a lot of money and they're looking for an opportunity to get rid of him. 
And they've done it. All right. After after an hour of news, shall we get into the final? Yes, we can. And some of those, some of that news made me very angry. I noticed. Yeah. I noticed. What didn't make you angry was the Cronulla salary cap. Oh no! I thought oh, that's that's ingenious. I love it. Oh, that was brilliant. It's it is, brilliant. It's actually brilliant. great. It is brilliant. It is brilliant. It is just. It is absolutely brilliant. It's. I thought. I thought you'd like. No, that I just. You know why that one was the best? Because everything you read, without knowing all the rules and context behind it, looks like poor Josh Dugan. They've really done a number on him. He got fired for a huge amount. And now you do the calculations, you're like, actually, he actually comes out of it. He's better off. He's better Stop off. Like... He's better off getting sacked. It just, yeah. It's the best. It's great. All right, let's move on to game one, which was on the Friday night. I thought, you you and I both thought this would be the closest game on the weekend. <laughs> yes. And and once again, our tips. <laughs> the teams have got to... Listeners, you've got to go with the opposites. This was an absolute blowout. The Storm beating Manly 40-12. to 12. The Storm got off to a perfect start when Morgan Harper dropped a pass by DCE, which was picked up by Brandon Smith, who put Lumay Lumay away to give the Storm a 6-0 lead inside the first five minutes. Kenny Bromwich then got the Storm second five minutes later, again again scoring on the manly right edge, which wasn't great on the night, and poor Morgan Harper had a shocker. They were down 10-0. Camp Munster then one-on-one stripped Morgan Harper. And a few tackles later, Brandon Smith uh, went over from dummy oh from dummy half, sent Christian Welsh over for the Stur- Storm's first try. It's not even 15 minutes yet. They're up 16-0. Manly got one back when DC bombs to the bomb to the Storm's left edge, and 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 your your boy Saab outjumped Lumay yep. Lumay to make it 18-6. But when Morgan Harper again dropped the ball. And again, the storm through Ryan Papenhuis and scored on Manly's right edge, uh, right on the cusp of halftime, and it was twenty-four-six at halftime. This game was over really, really early. After halftime, Justin Oldham delivered a PNG fend oh, on Morgan, yeah. <laughs> on Morgan Harper, which was finished off by Ryan Papenhuis to make it thirty to six. Five minutes later, Ruben Garrick kicked from a tap restart, which was brilliant. Yep. I love seeing that yeah, stuff. Brilliant. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it was brilliant. And and Lumay Lumay made an absolute meal of it. Bedroom Eyes made an absolute meal of it. And Jason Saab got his second to make it 30 to 12. It was a manly try off the poor. So this is what I want to talk about a little mm. bit. So it was manly second try and their last try of the game, but it was off the back. Both tries came off the back of a poor last tackle play from Jerome Hughes. His running's really good. His organizing's really good, but his kicking game has, and, and some of his last tackle options have completely fallen off a cliff in the last few weeks. And you, I thought ref Grant Atkins was poor. He didn't affect the result because the storm killed them, but it wasn't a great game for the referee. And I also didn't think it was Jerome Hughes' best game, but I thought Cam Munster and the Storm, it's hard to see anyone stopping them, G. Look, I think you've summed it up quite well. I think poor Morgan Harper had absolute shocker. Every try we spoke about, basically his name appears. I think he got Correct. off to a bad... It was that edge, right? That manly right edge, just just They targeted that line. edge, Melbourne, very clearly. But once I think Morgan dropped that ball at the start... I think his confidence just disappeared after that, and it was just error after error. I think that really affected his performance, and he was terrible. A lot of his errors led Second to tries. Second game in a row, they've kept Tommy Turbo quiet as well. What's concerning for the Seagulls against the Storm, and they might not play them again anyway, um, unless they reach the grand final, is in both games, the, the first game was close, <laughs> but the second one too. Ingenious analysis of the draw. The, the, the tries they've scored have been kind of gritty and lucky. They haven't really 
threatened man um, Melbourne's defense all that much. And the same thing in this game, they just zeroed in on Tommy Turbo, and Manly really couldn't do anything. But I also think that by the time they were up eighteen nil, Manly I think really struggled. And Manly has been racking up the points against some of these crappy teams, and it's been so easy where they just spread the ball, they're making breaks at will, the defense on the inside's terrible. Now they came up against a an enthusiastic, well-drilled, elite defense that's that's fast. They really struggled to make any ground, I thought. They couldn't hold out Melbourne enough to, to slowly find their way in the game. Like, by the time Manly sort of settled a little bit, it was 18-0, like you say, and the game was over. I mean, they did score that try to Saab, but, you know, Pappenheisen, as soon as he got any space... Bang, straight through the gap, and he, he was in to score. Like you, I thought... He's back, He's isn't he? back. He's absolutely back. What a game. It was really very one-sided. They really blew them off the field in the first half. They dominated possession. You know, they scored tries. They broke them down as soon as Manly sort of scored scored a try by Saab, and they thought, well, we might find our way back in the game. Bang, Pappenheisen scores, and then right after half time, they make a break, offload to Grant, and then Pappenheisen comes flying through the middle. You know, Manly's cover defense was good, but... He was too quick, too agile, a few steps on Garrick and Saab, and he scored under the post. And then it was just really slow end to the death of Manly in that game, really, the last 30 minutes. It was, yeah, and really yeah, the piss take at the end with the two-point fugue from 40 metres as well. Did you think so? I just think, I just think that's such a clever play. I know some people think it's the piss take, but I actually think you want to get some reps in with those things because you don't know what situation you're going to be in where you need those, right? And the game's over, so even if they run the length of the field like they did the week before against the Cowboys, and, and that's where Melbourne's smart with this stuff, right? You're right. That's probably why... They did it. You know what? If, if, if the ball goes to Ryan Pappenheisen for a field goal now, at least we know he's tried it before, as opposed to Patrick Herbert. Which and, 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 and let's, I just think Patrick Herbert's got all the skills in the world, and we're going to talk about it in the next game. But I do think the, his game awareness and knowledge might need to improve. <laughs> yeah, there's a great example of that in the next game. But I just thought the Storm were too good. I don't think Jerome Hughes was that effective but Munster was dude I don't think Jerome Hughes has been playing well for weeks you've got to watch the games closely Munster was sensational Brandon Smith came off with an injury and they still rolled manly but don't get me wrong Jerome Hughes you know okay prop through the middle we're gonna go kick to the corner like organizing he's fine running game's fine but you don't want the ball in his hands at the moment for last tackle options and his kicks like his bomb, some of his high kicks didn't have enough depth on them. So he had a couple of kicks go dead. Like he's just, a, that side of his game's a little bit he off. He is a moment. little bit off. Um, I think at the start of the year, for most of the year, he's been sensational. But um, but, but look, Melbourne were just too too good. And I think Manly really struggled to break down their defence. And it's they haven't faced a defence that good in a long while. Uh, until they, well, since the last time they played Melbourne. But in both games, they've yeah, struggled. in a long while. Three weeks. You know, you know what I mean? Like, but Manly, look, I think Manly will bounce back, but I think it was a bit of a wake-up call and a bit of a shock because they've had it easy for a fair few weeks, I think. Well, Manly got the Roosters this weekend, and we'll talk about them. I, I don't storm great. Yeah, win. but nothing to take away from that game for Manly except let's just regroup and, you know, let, let that game go. I think that game will have a few psychological scars. If they meet them in the grand final, I think the Storm will feel very confident, and I think Manly, Manly came out of the regular season game a lot more confident than than, than what they'll get out of this I game. I agree with that. This game, they were yes, blown they away. Were. This game, they were I blown agree away. with that. That's actually something that might show itself if they make the grand final. Manly's very capable of beating the Knicks, the Roosters, and then um, South as well. So it'll be an interesting trip for Manly and see how they recover the next two weeks. 
All right, let's move on to the what I thought was just a fantastic game of footy. The Roosters versus the Titans. The Roosters got up 25-24 in this game. What a game. I thought the Titans were the better team, even though they never led in this one. It's such a funny thing to say. They were the better team, but they never led. And it was only a Sam Walker field goal in the 78th minute that won it for them. And I'm going to start with the end of the game because that's the most relevant bit and then work my way backwards. And even after the Sam Walker field goal that came from an illegal block play. Yes. And this is what I mean about the referee. Oh, the referee was terrible. The Titans still should have won. They made a break down the Roosters' right edge in which everyone was so... What a Sam Walker tackle. What a beast he is in defence. He's the one who missed the tackle at the other end, which was really... <laughs> hey, he made up for it because his ball and all tackle on um, Sami... Sami was getting ready to offload to Jaden Campbell coming up and yeah, he just yeah, wrapped his hands up and he couldn't get it free. So it ended up being a wonderful tackle. But it, the, the right edge for the Roosters was really poor. Mm. Um, they made a break down the Roosters' right edge in, at the death and when they spread the ball to the other edge, a minute to go in the game. So this is the play, or 30 seconds to go in the game. Patrick Herbert absolutely bombed a try by going himself instead of drawing and passing. Yeah. Um, he probably didn't have faith in the people on Corey his outside. Corey Thompson, he's a, he's one winger I'd have faith in. You mean like you mean like David Fafita, who scored seventeen tries <laughs> this year, and you need a Mack truck to stop him. Yes. And even if you didn't want to give it to David Fafita, perhaps the other man out unmarked on his outside three meters from the line, Corey Thompson would have been a good one to pass the ball to. No, 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 no. He decided for the glory play, which he did at Justin Olam against did, the Panthers earlier this season. He absolutely did. Absolutely. It's like, thanks, Addo, Addo top... Carl. I'll go myself. Yeah, correct. You don't know how to finish these <laughs> yes, tries. Correct. It. I mean, I, it, that'll live with him for a long time. So I thought the Titans should have won. They never led in this game. I thought they were the better team. The Roosters led 12-6 at halftime after tries to Ikevalu and Teddy. And the Titans did get a try just before halftime. And it did come from an Ikevalu mistake. And, and Ikevalu had a really poor great game. Mistake, and the though. Roosters were poor. Oh, it was a great mistake. <laughs> straight to the... Front. Which one are you talking about? That was the, the one, the second half yes. one where he dropped it, taking yeah, it out from the Yeah, just straight to line. the prop the right half. in front of the yeah. post. Just, yep, thanks, no, no, I'll that score. That was the second half. No, no, no. He came... The first first half try was from an Ikevalu mistake as well. Um, in the second half, Tupu scored early to extend the lead to 18-6. Yeah. But Tino hit back with a try of his own off a kick. And then Brian Kelly scored to make it 18-all before Teddy set up Josh Morris. Uh, to retake the lead, but then Ikevalu came up with a hot with one of the world's greatest mistakes, taking it out from his own line, just yeah. dropped it cold, and even the Roosters players were in such shock that no one reacted no, to it. He just, it was just I mean. yeah, no because it, it, no one could believe he dropped it. Jared Wallace just picked it up, had a cup of coffee on the way to the try line, and planted the ball down after his lunch. And that made it 24-all. Tyrone Peachy and Sam Walker both missed field goals before Sam Walker iced it. And then we talked about Patrick Herbert bombing it at the end. Um, Sam Walker only came on for the last 10 minutes. And I do like the way Trent Robinson's using Sam Walker because his defense when he was playing week in, week out for 80 minutes was a real problem for this team. Um, And I thought Victor Radley was absolutely... That that might be Victor Radley's best game of the season. That's how good he was. I agree with you. The Titans always felt like they were the better team. But, you know, Tedesco just had those little touches of class that made the difference in the game. And he just just keeps putting the team on his back when they're in trouble. You know what he's become... You know know what I like about Teddy? Yeah. Um, And this is where... where he is ahead of Tommy yep. Turbo. He's got the skills. He knows how to inject himself. But more than that, he's a leader. My team's in trouble. It's 18 all. I'm going to take it upon myself to create something from nothing and the flick pass to Josh Morris to get him over the yep. line. I mean, just 
it's 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 more presence about the game, knowing when to interject yourself, and just leadership. I thought he was the difference between the two sides, really. Um, I thought the Titans didn't quite take advantage of their dominance in the game. Like they, they were the better side, they couldn't really reflect that on the scoreboard. Dude, if it was any other team's defense, they would have put forty on. That. It was one of those Titans games where, against the Tigers, they put on forty or fifty. Yeah, I thought that, I thought the Titans played pretty well, and the Roosters sort of held them out long enough to sort of, you know, keep them ahead. Just keep on nudging ahead, and then Tedesco just, like we said, just came up with you know touches of class to sort of keep them ahead in the game. I mean, for example, he's tried before half time. Victor Radley up the tempo all of a sudden. It was poor defence by the Titans. It was shocking defence. But it was a one pass off the ruck and all of a sudden he makes half a break and then Tedesco's there out of nowhere looking for the inside pass and then he scores, right? Whereas if you look at the, that for a lot of other teams, the fullback's not that, like you say, present. Not that aware. Didn't look like a set play. He just followed up what was happening and all of a sudden there was a half break and he turned that into six points. So, look, the Titans should have stopped Josh Morris. There was five Titans defenders against three Roosters. He stepped three guys all going the same way. No one covered the inside. So it was soft in the end, but it was Tedesco created enough space that there was an opportunity to score a try against five defenders. Well, and, and it's the Titans' defence. You know, a little bit of magic here and there I thought was enough. I thought Victor Radley was amazing for the Roosters. I thought he was everywhere. In a t- He's just his motor was really telling in that game when they needed him most. I thought Crichton wasn't, was okay. I didn't think he stepped up all that much. And Isaac Liu... Angus Crichton? Yeah. No, no. I, no, I thought Angus Crichton was fine. I mean, you can't, no, he wasn't one of their worst No, players. no. I was just expecting... I guess from him, I'm probably expecting a bigger game in a game like that. Angus Crichton had a bad miss for one of the yes, Titans' tries. Yeah. But the other thing is, the game was played on the other edge. Yeah. To Angus Crichton, don't forget. Yeah, it wasn't on his edge that the game came down. Talk about the refing, like, and this will come up later, but Ikevalu's try, the second one where he sort of steamrolled over someone they thought, you know, was it Teddy caught the ball just on the inside of the runner? I mean, you're talking about millimetres there, right? Like, I mean, there was no impact on the defence and that was an obstruction. Yes, but I had this argument with earlier today. No, no, I agree with the rules, but the thing is the rules were inconsistently applied across the four games for that type of stuff, right? Well, the refereeing's not great. I it's agree with terrible. that. It's but, terrible. But the obstruction rule, I think, is being applied pretty consistently this year. It's Now, you may say that the rule's stupid. That's a different argument. But I think they've been quite consistent. On, on the rule. And and I do think on the obstruction rule, there's too much made of it because Phil Gould mentions it six times in commentary. Oh, yeah. Phil Gould dictates the narrative for everything. To be honest, once Wallace scored, I thought the Roosters... I thought they were gone. I thought they were gone. I actually thought that the Titans would come home over the top of them, but then they got lucky. Walker... Tyrone Peachy... Gee, can I ask you a question? Why did Tyrone Peachy go for the field goal instead of that known, notable... Field goal kicker Patrick Herbert. To be honest, they're both sporty moustaches, and I reckon Tyrone Peachy. You think Mitch Rain gave? <laughs> you think Mitch Rain gave gave Patrick Herbert the ball because he thought it was probably Tyrone Peachy, the moustache. <laughs> Tyrone Peachy looks like he's you know he looks like an '80s sitcom dad. So does Patrick Herbert. Oh, that's it's, brilliant. Uh, look, he hit it well. He just missed. And once the Roosters got the ball back and Walker had a chance, he was never going to miss, right? He, he's quite cool, Sam Walker. And I thought that was it. And then Bo Firma made a magical break and then they bombed it at the end. I mean, shit, I can't believe. All Herbert had to do was straighten up the attack and pass the ball and they were in. Yeah, he just needed to, he just needed to draw and pass. Why are you tr- Okay, fair enough. You want to go through your, yourself, right? But why are you trying to beat three players? There was three defenders there, not one or two. There was three. Well, I mean, I just don't know. I just don't know 
I can't think of any situation there where you don't at least at le- you might not go to Corey Thompson. But at the very least, why you wouldn't go to David Fafita? The Titans aimed up in that game and that they're able to really lift their game for one one perf- big performance. So they made the eight. They made the eight and they ran the Roosters close. Yeah. They didn't win as many games as last year. Or they only won one extra game in the regular season despite playing four extra yep. games. But based on that performance, the, the, the Titans have made progress. Well, look, they can. You can see that they've got some more potential in that team to unlock. But um, look, a good performance. They really should have won that game and won that semi-final. Um, but the Roosters hung in and gritty and came away with, with a, a lucky win, I thought. Um, but good performance again from the Roosters. Good performance. Now, one we might do it as we're covering the games. There was two teams eliminated this week. I, I think the Titans will be good for that semi-finals this year. They need to improve their defense, and if they can get a spine, I think they're one of the favorites for the back end, back half of the eight again next year. Look, I think they've got the base to build from. I, I, I think they, they went backwards a little bit, but I, honestly, a lot of it, I think, was fitness-related. The team looks to have trained incorrectly for the rules. I think they need a half. They do need a half. If I'm a Titans fan, what I want to see from them next year is a little bit more sparkle. It's like almost a combination of what they got this and what they had the year before. Can I give you? A, can I give you what I would do, or one of the options I would seriously be considering? Jaden Campbell with AJ Brimson as a five eight, I think, gives them more thrust in attack. But I really need. I really need to see them. Their forwards ran out of puffer in a lot of games. Well, yeah, I agree with that. So assuming you can get him fit. but I, Okay, yeah. What about Mitchell Pearce? He's being shopped around. Ooh. He's an older head. Defensively, one of the better halfbacks in the comp. Granted, he'd only be there for a couple of years. He wouldn't have the, the baggage of Sydney. You could do... You, you play Toby Sexton there next to him to learn off him. I, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world that they could do. Now that you mentioned that, I don't know if Mitchell Pearce in the Gold Coast historically speaking, would be a good mix. But um, but having said that, look, I don't know. Mitch P seems to be moved around a lot. So I wonder what happens in the background that we don't know about. So there's always that. I don't know, but he's older and he's on a bit of money that he's not probably not worth. And they've got Jake Clifford there. And, I, you know, I still think he's got something to offer. Is he the elite halfback? No. But I've got to tell you, he's a damn sight better than Jamal Fogarty and Ash Taylor. And I think your future half there is Toby Sexton. Your suggestion is a really good one. Because, look, I like Fogarty. I like his story. I like his guts. But even Fogarty, he goes to line up a field goal and he's got veins popping out of his biceps. So, but, you know, he's so big and he's immobile. And the other one I'd go for if I'm them, the other one I'd go for is Josh Hodgson. If if you could land two experienced players at hooker, and because they, they don't have playmakers anyway, so it doesn't matter if if Josh Hodgson and Mitch Pearce can work it out between them, like that gives them, and you get them fit, like they're all of a sudden they're not looking like seventh and eighth, they're looking like fifth. Do you and know sixth. what? I actually like your suggestions. Like if I were the Titans now, the more I think about it, if Pearce is available and you can get him, I would actually take Pearce. Well, you got to remember they've got a million bucks in the salary cap with Ash Taylor. Being off contract, you could probably get both of them. You could probably get both of them. For and that honestly, and a creative hooker, even a Brayley type, would make their team infinitely better. Well, they're not going to let Brayley go. They're not going to let. But Brayley I mean, a go. type of player like that. And my view is, the horse has bolted at the end of the season to get a decent hooker. There's not a lot of no, them around. Anyway. I don't think so. So Josh Hodgson, you know, is available from Canberra. So you, you, they don't have a lot of experience, and they need organisation. Right, that's where they're weak. It's not punch. They got a lot of yep. punch. They need to get their forwards fitter, and you put Josh Hodgson. And Mitchell Pierce, if they have Josh Hodgson and Mitchell Pierce on the weekend, they beat Easts. I think you're onto something. I think the Titans are there. They've got something to work with, but I really think they need to sharpen that. I think you're right about 
a creative type of dummy half and they need a better halfback. Like, like I said, I love Fogarty, but you know, if you can get a Mitch Pierce, he's a massive upgrade over him, a huge upgrade. So you gotta you gotta take him. But Jaden Campbell coming through now, I don't know what happened to Tremaine Spry, but he was great. Maybe he was unfit as well or injured, but you know what? They've got something to work with, but they have to get fitter and, and make a few adjustments. There are a couple of players short, though. They are a couple of players, key players, key position players. Halfback and hooker, they need to think twice about. But you know what? With a few tweaks here and there, like Tino was fantastic in that game. There's Fatawaika can go to another level if he gets a bit fitter. They've got something to work with, the Titans. Um, so I'm expecting them, yep. to be honest, if they, they do improve and ad- um, address those weaknesses, I think next year, like you say, I think they'll be up around the six or seven six mark provided they recruit hooker i think they need a hooker and a half they get those two positions i think they'll be um they could crack that top six position but if they don't get the hooker in the half i think they're a seventh and eighth team yes i don't think i think that would take them up another level provided all the other stuff goes to to plan as well but if they don't make many changes they'll be the same as this year i don't really see them going to a, a level of the roosters and anywhere anyone else like a manly or someone no you know? no and i think the roosters will be sensational next year but we'll cover them when they're eliminated okay let's move on to the saturday yep. game uh, i don't have a lot of notes on this one because <laughs> and, and, and i watched this with the panthers supporter in my yes. house mrs t and she made some she, she mrs t made some interesting points about this yep. game so it was the Panthers versus Souths. Souths got up 16-10. I thought the Panthers absolutely... I'm not going to go through a blow-by-blow yeah, on this yeah. game. I, I, I think the Panthers lacked imagination in attack. Um, their whole attack is now that Nathan Cleary kicked the bladder Cristiano Ronaldo bomb. Yep. Their only try actually came through a freak knockback off a kick yeah, by gr- brilliant, brilliant stuff by Momorowski, by the way. Brilliant Magic. stuff. Brilliant stuff. Absolutely brilliant, but it's a freak try. It's not a... Yeah. It's not a play you can rely on, right? They're just they've lost their punch. South's defense was unbelievable and it's been poor all year and it was just fantastic. But I tell you the big difference I saw in the game, and this is where you and I disagree. Mm. This is where Dylan Edwards makes a massive difference. Okay? Dylan Edwards was ruled out and Stephen Crichton got moved to, to half uh, to yep. fullback and he didn't give them the same thrust. No, and Charlie Staines, who came in, was poor. Now, Isaiah Yo made a break in the second half, I think it yes. was, straight down the middle of the field, right? And if you look at the head-on camera angle, Stephen Crichton is 20, 30 metres behind the play, in back play. Dylan Edwards would have been supporting that break. Yes. And he goes in under the posts, and it's and the whole momentum of the game changes, yep. right, at that point. So it's little things like that that I think Dylan Edwards actually does bring a lot to the table. I don't think Charlie Staines has been playing well for weeks. He keeps getting dropped and brought back into the team. I don't know why he's not picking Brent Naden at this point. A little bit more experienced. Um, I, I know he can be a little bit erratic, but I don't think Charlie Staines is bringing it. So for Souths, they, they completed 36 of 42 sets. Yeah. And Adam Reynolds basically kicked the Panthers out of the game. He, he gave the Souths team amazing field position. They were always, the, the Panthers were always coming off their own line, yeah. basically. Yeah. And, and it's now, it's actually now a couple of months since the Panthers have looked like themselves. If you look back, it's quite a while now. And now the road goes through Parramatta and Melbourne. It was a huge upset. And what Mrs. T said as a Panthers supporter, is what worried her was they didn't look good, but she said it was the type of performance that, and it was quite insightful, she said it was the type of performance that saps your confidence. And I think that's right. It was the type of performance 
where you kind of, it, it would have dented their confidence this well, game. It's not something they bounce back from. They're a young side. They torched the competition last year. They were torching the competition this year at the beginning of the year. So I think that comment is very accurate. Whereas now all of a sudden it's like, well, what we're doing isn't working. What do we do? What they've been doing has worked for basically two years straight between 40, 50 games. If Parramatta defends the way they did against Melbourne a few weeks ago, that's as good as the South's defense on the yep. weekend, right? And can I just say one other thing before handing it over? Sorry, G. Ivan Cleary. Ivan Cleary. You're doing these mind games with Wayne Bennett. <laughs> Wayne Bennett was in the room with Victor Trumper in 1908 when the NRL was formed. Okay? So, like, have you ever seen Victor Trumper and Wayne Bennett in the same room? No. no. Even his statue. So, <laughs> correct. So, Wayne Bennett... To the best of our knowledge, Wayne Bennett could be 113 years old, okay? He's hanging out with Jeff Bezos. Like, Eternal life. I mean, I, <laughs> are, you, are you are you kidding me? Like, that, like you were going to get eaten alive by Wayne in the press. Like, they just played it wrong beginning to end. The whole week was played wrong. I think the Panthers are one of those sides that have really... I think it was so easy against some of these teams for so long that they just kept on doing the same thing and it just always worked because they're, they're, they're a step above nearly every team in the comp, right? Whereas against Souths, what they usually did that worked didn't work. Oh, let's get Luai to run and then throw a cutout board to Toto. Oh, shit. He's covered by Jackson Paulo and Campbell Graham, and he's got three guys to run into. It's a lot of sideways stuff. They don't have the incisiveness to straighten it up like they were doing earlier in the Because half. it was always working. Well, the other thing I'll tell you is, and this is where the confidence thing yep. plays, if you look back at the game closely, they're now passing the ball well before the yes, line. Yes, they are. Yeah, whereas whereas early in the season, the pass was almost on impact, if you recall, right? The passes were a lot closer to the defensive line. So by passing five metres from the defence, you're actually giving the defence time to well, read it. Well, of course, because now, the def- especially when you get to these elite games, T, the defence sh- moves quicker, right? So if you're not challenging them and making them commit to you, all you're doing is cramping your outside runners. So... That's the thing that I took away as watching Penrith is they were trying to go around South and all this stuff about you've got to go through. They went through the middle. But the problem is that worked against these crappier teams where you just zing the ball out wide and Toto is in space and then you've got Burden cutting in. South covered that relatively well the whole game, right? And conversely, Souths had a similar issue. There was a few times where their left-hand side attack and some Cody Walker magic, but Cody Walker's always aggressive running at the line. That gave them space, but AJ couldn't just run for 30 metres and score a try. He was cut down by the Panthers' defence. So both sides had to work harder to score, right? They did. They did 100% right, but 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 they... They challenged the line Souths, and I'm not, and I don't think the Panthers. No, did. they really struggled. And once that sort of that quick ball movement to the fringe didn't result in kick out, just steamrolling somebody, and then Burden cutting inside or cutting inside Luai. I mean, that's the edge Kaloa Matangi's on, yeah. isn't he? I mean, they, yes. I mean, they're, they're about the same bloody size, kick out and Kaloa. Really improved this year. He's been sensational for yeah. Souths, but. They really struggled. And I thought Penrith, like you say, their confidence dropped a little bit. And then all of a sudden, they started trying different things. But at the start of the year, when we were assessing them, exactly what you said, their their strength was, their variety was incredible. Through the middle, inside balls, Luai was running. Luai has gone into his shell and barely, I I don't know what's happening. He's passing the ball before the line. They're not challenging the line. And so when they don't go around them, it comes to the last tackle. And Nathan Cleary, like, that's it. That's their And him and Cleary aren't 
playing off each other. Burton's, Burton, I think, still is okay, but the rest of the team isn't necessarily functioning as well. But the way he instinctively played off Kikau a couple of times and, you know, made that break just before half time as well, which was just, they made inroads to Panthers, but it was very difficult to do. And their variety, they had no variety in attack, and I think they struggled as a result, right? But Souths, conversely, their defense, they shut down the Panthers. Totoro was totally shut down in that game. Their line speed in defense was great, and I think. That's one thing that Para can bring to the table, which I know we're going to preview. If Para plays to their defensive capability, they, they actually have a better line speed in defense when they're on than South. In a way, I thought that was a very positive game for South because South were quite tough in that game. You know, last year they kind of had the magic and they were flogging teams and scoring points and you kind of knew defensively they had quite a few holes but in that game in particular Lopan does this every final but, but this is the thing right in this game here I thought South's takeaway is they were very strong and very tough to be honest I thought Jai Arrow was fantastic in the middle of the field because what he did his agility and his defence he made effective tackles he hit he hit well, hard and he gets under the opposition's skin as well he's got that shithousery to him he does he's annoying he's a niggler right he's he's like a and he's the, he's the guy lip, lipping when he has a big tackle someone makes an error he's the one him and Cam Murray really close down those gaps that the Panthers rely on against some of these easier teams right where it's so easy to make inroads and they shut that down and I think then as a result the Panthers really struggled I thought Blake Tafe was fantastic at fullback he he was aggressive and running the ball and Cody Walker just added that little touches of class here did you think he was fantastic I didn't think Blake I I think Blake Tafe did his job look I think I think he's fantastic because he's a kid and he's playing like his fifth game I agree with that I agree with that I agree with that so yeah if I think was he brilliant no I think it's because geez this kid actually played okay you know yeah he did okay he did okay Um, I I thought Jackson Paulo was fantastic in defence, even when he got beaten, he recovered. I thought he made a big difference. He shut the Panthers' left hand, left hand side attack I, that, down. I reckon that's as that's about as well as Souths can play, and I don't think that level's good enough to beat Melbourne. I, I don't think it is, but you know what? That worries me about the comp, right? I, I think that's <laughs> that's 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 the best they can play. They just beat the team that's in second place. I think that I think the Storm will put thirty on that. Team. I think so, um, but I also think Crichton for I don't know if it's just me, but is he? You know what I also picked up from the Panthers? He's not a fullback. He's not a fullback. He has no idea how to play it. Mate, the Panthers struggled with their lack of pace against South. Because even once they made inroads... Well, they might, they, they might beat they might beat Para, mm. but I don't know how they're going to beat the Storm. When Once we're evening up some of these teams, pace and that speed and turning a half break into... I'm going to tip Para. I've got news for you. I'm going to tip Para because I do support my I'm team. I'm actually going to tip Para because... You know, a couple of times Crichton was in the clear and he made 10 metres and got run down by like Adam Reynolds. Or That's not going to cut it against... And Para's one weakness is sheer speed, right? I don't know if Penrith has that. Toto is bustling and trying to break tackles. Those defences will clean that area up. Burton is their one guy that has pace. And that's not enough. No, that's right. Luai also, mate, he's making inroads and a half break, but he's not going straight through the gap. And, you know, something's not right there. No, he just, he hasn't played well since Origin. Gee, the first time Origin players always have this happen. Always. I think South toughed it out and they really hung on and were gritty and their forward pack was really good and really tight defensively. And I thought it was a really good win by South. And I think the side of the draw that they've, popped up in there's no reason why they shouldn't make the grand final okay well we'll see in a couple of weeks time um after this week we're actually down to our last five games we of the are season. yes so that's that's only 67 Correct. hours of podcasting that's right more importantly 67 hours spent with you 
think of the off season. We'll talk about this at the in our last pod for this season, but um, we will be auditioning new people yeah, for this. M- podcast. Mrs. T and the cat. No, we're gonna get G. We need a new G. Uh, someone who's willing to watch the football. Please go. All right, let's move on to the last yep. game. The mighty. <laughs> Parramatta Once Eels. mighty Parramatta Eels. They should have lost that game. The mighty Jesus. Parramatta. Yeah, I know. It was a lot bloody Shit. closer. Than, they gave me a heart attack. The last time the Eels played the Knights in a final, I was there in 2001 at the grand final with my uncle who got me supporting the Parra team. Yep. And I rang him during this game when it looked like right at the end we were going to lose yes. this or the momentum was going against us. And I asked him... Why all those years ago when I was a little kid that he would inflict upon me supporting the Parramatta Eels? It's been 35 years and this team, even when they're winning, doesn't cease to give me a heart attack. Now, they won this 28-20. Yep. But it started off diabolically, as you know, yes. G. We were swapping texts yes. during this game. Gutho kicked out on the full from the kickoff. Shaky start. And the <laughs> Really? Really? Thank you. And the Knights went in one and a half minutes into the game. Mitch Moses was actually moved to the wing in defense, and it was a poor read by Mitch Moses. Now, if you go back and listen to the Channel 9 commentary, they're saying, no, 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 Neocore made the bad read, all that sort of stuff. Uh, that's not actually true. Go have a look at the replay. Mitch Moses was out of position. Bad read. He was caught between the center and the wing. They were trying to protect their mate, Mitch, right? But we've got to call it the way we see it. Para then dominated the next 20 yep. minutes and were rewarded by Wonga Blake, who scored down the yes. nice right edge. And actually, the left edge of Para in attack were great in the first half. I, I thought Dylan Brown in particular. A bit of space to move. And, and that whole left edge, yeah, he was really dangerous, really good. Team right? Wanga Blake, for all his defensive issues, in open space and with room to move, he can be electric at times, right? With Dylan Brown, that's not a bad combo they got on that side of the field. It's a good combination with space, right? Um, but but despite that domination, after that try, Heimel Hunt stepped past some really poor defence down the same edge to give the Knights a 10-6 lead. Undeserved. We were the, they got a try from the kickoff and then they got this try right against the run of play and they'd scored 10 points that really, you know, like they really didn't deserve. Um, but then the Eels' right edge took over. First through Mitchell Moses, who finally ran the ball and scored a brilliant individual try yep. before an absolutely miraculous pass by Penasini sent an injured Fergo over for Parra to lead 16-10 at halftime. After the break, a beautiful set play from Parra down their right led to Parra extending the lead through a try to Blake Ferguson to make it 22-10. And at this point, I breathed a little bit easier, yep. right? I knew I shouldn't have, okay? Now, Will Smith came on, and then in one of the most boneheaded decision. With the Knights kicking inside their 30, Mitch Pierce went to kick the ball. Yep. He was inside his own 30. Yep. And Will, for whatever reason, decided to charge the ball down. Yep. So it gave the Knights a repeat set because they regathered the ball. And the Knights scored off the set to make it 22-16. And the momentum shifted at that point, yeah. right? So 15 minutes into the second half. And then Kalen Ponga stood up Fergo with a brilliant cutout pass. I can't. You know, people would say Fergo. That, was, that pass was just magic. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant pass. Again, down Para's right edge. And Tuala got his hat-trick, and it's 22-20, and I thought at this point, shit, we're going to get run down. And then, controversially, with three minutes to go, Penasini was pulled back illegally by Tuala. That wasn't the controversy. Um, and a penalty tr- <laughs> the controversy was Gutho dropping the ball. Well, no, that's... that's that's It's it's the Knights fans not knowing the rules. Uh, that's That's been the rule. You can drop kick it as long as it's deliberate. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't have to be for a field goal. Remember they introduced, they introduced, they clarified that when Billy Slater did it. He, of course. So the rules existed yes. for... It's just... It's, they changed for I, Billy Slater in State of Origin. Well, yeah, and I, I did think it was a penalty try. No, it was a uh, look. The penalty try, I don't have an issue with. He was the ball was bouncing up. Guy just tackled him without the ball. I mean, yeah, come correct. on. I mean, he, and, and, and I don't actually blame the Knights <laughs> no. player. You had to do it at no. that point, right? So we got over the line. Thank God. I nearly had a heart attack. 
I needed to go have a lie down and a take a Panadol after this game. And I thought Mitchell Moses was absolutely fantastic during this game as well. Yeah, I mean, look, for me, I thought the Eels were sloppy and in and out of the game, sort of mentally at well, times. Well, plays to their opponent. When they play the Storm, they're up. When they play the Knights, they're not as good, right? So I think it was evident in this game, right? I mean, yes, a bad start and they scored a try. Then you're like, oh, damn it, you know, we've got to click into gear. And that's kind of what you saw. After that bad start, it was like, geez, okay, we've got to step it up here. And they, they did. They started to dominate. They should have scored a couple of tries and they didn't. Wonga Blake, in, with, with some room to move, was just too hot for the Knights' defence to handle, really. You could sort of see, it looked like Para was going to blow them out sometimes, but it never they never quite got them, if that makes sense. And like you say, then the, the Knights scored against the run of play. And I, I think from there, once I think the Eels were a bit shaky, right? We're dominating the game, we're behind 10-6, and I, I thought Mitchell Moses' try really changed the momentum of the game there. I think it was a massive, massive try just before halftime. And unexpected too, the Knights felt like they were, you know, kind of on top, winning the grind, then all of a sudden, individual magic. And then the next try was almost immediately after that. And instead of 10-6, you know, they're down 16-10 at half time. And then again, Mitchell Moses ran to the line again and threw that floater to Fergo, which was a brilliant play. The defense had no chance with that one. Again, it was Mitchell Moses being aggressive, which I love seeing. I think he's a, I actually think he's a fabulous player. And then a little bit of Tuala magic, you know, somehow got the ball down with the kick behind him and then with um, Jay Clifford's kick. And then Ponga's pass we spoke about. That was, talk about precision. That was fucking unbelievable, right? You can't blame Fergo. It was just so clinically executed that there was no room to move for either the defender or the attacker. And Ponga, threaded the needle so to speak and they scored and then after that I thought geez I don't know where this is going to go Para was but they started to buckle a little bit but from there on in I actually thought the Knights seeded the the momentum to Para because I thought from there on in and I texted you about this I thought the Knights were playing hoping that Para would make a mistake that they might be able to win the game rather than actually trying to win the game so they reverted back to their conservatism throughout the year and Mitchell Moses kept Para in the game with his kicking game was sensational and I thought he sort of kept the Knights on the back foot a little bit. And they didn't really try to win it until eventually Para got enough field positioning, enough in attack, so that they put the grubber through and Penasini was taken out and it was game over. But I thought the Knights had them on the ropes there, but they didn't go to try and win the game. They were hoping Para made a mistake. Para got away with one, I think, towards the end. I think they were dominant for most of the game, but that... 10 or 15 minute period T towards the end. If it wasn't for Mitchell's kicking, like long kicks, 50, 60, 70 meters, right? Yeah. And the Knights kind of becoming very conservative. Like, I mean, when did Ponga really touch the ball when they were trying to win the game? Barely got his hands on it in any space at all. I knew you'd I knew you'd find a way to take the gloss off this for me. I thought the great sign for Para was Moses in a tight game, really being aggressive and trying to win it. And I thought he was the difference between the two sides in the end. I thought he was great. So good win by Para. Look, shaky start to the semis, but you know what? I think it's it's good they got away with it now. And I think next week I'm going to tip them. I think they're going to beat the Penrith for sure. I really do. Well, the team that was eliminated here was the Knights. The second team that was eliminated. This is the second year in a row they finished seventh. Mitchell Pearce is being shopped around to every club in the comp. So it's clear that Jake Clifford's going to be there next yep. year. Um, the rumour is they're going to get Tarek Sims. Okay, yep. And? And? Yeah, great. I mean, that's great. But I don't see what... Oh. I mean, I don't see what Tarek Sims gives them that they don't have. I think they're at a point now 
They've lost Connor Watson, and I think he's a big loss. Yep. Now, they were injured quite a bit this year, and Bradman Best didn't play, and Tuala didn't play every game. There's all those t- types of things. Yep. So they didn't, it was a struggle to get their best team on the park, but Clem is a year older, Saifid is a year older. Is this the peak of their team? When I was thinking about what does this mean for the Knights, now you could easily convince me that they're going to finish seventh again next year and go out in the first round, but I can't see them breaking into the top six. No, because I, I think they had a full-strength side there against Para. The game was there to be won. They they did have a lot of injuries this year tonight, so they never really got any... A lot of injuries, Like, too yeah. much, right? Like, as in, they never really got in rhythm. Particularly early in the season. Early in the season. But towards the end of the year, their side started to settle a little bit, right? But I didn't really see much change. Okay, the injuries were there. It took you a bit of time. But once you got your team settled and ready to play, with a Clifford and with a Pierce and Ponga back for six, seven games in a row, Tuala improving, you know, Harmel Hunt, Bradman Best back, looking sharper. Gee, their attack, their attack this year has been woeful. They can't score enough points. It didn't points. really and change I, towards the end of the year. What, what's going to change? That's right. I think they're at level. I think they're at level. And they're a bit like the Raiders were a couple of years ago. The Raiders made the grand final, but didn't get over the line. And then it's just like, well, everyone's getting a little bit older. I know Tuala's young and Bradman Best is young. Caelan Ponga's best years are in front of him. And they've now recruited Jake Clifford. But the forwards aren't getting any younger. I think the Knights, at best, at best, will be where they are now and just sneak into an eighth or something. I actually think they're probably one of the teams that I think will go backwards. Like you say, I'm not sure what they can add to make this team better, obviously, other than elite talent. I don't know that I don't know that they're going to go backwards, but I don't think they're going to keep... I don't think they're going to be improving. I can't see them... Yeah, I don't think they'll improve. Right, no, I agree Ad- Adam O'Brien's had them now. This is for the second year. Like I said, they had injuries. They had a young team. They've got Heimel Hunt's been there for a while. They've got Bradman Bessett. Tyson Frizzell hasn't been good. And I just I just kind of go, you know, because on paper, you then go, you got Braley. Yeah, they've got a good hooker. Siafidi, Siafidi, Clemmer. If you get Tarek Sims, your back row is Tarek Sims, Mitch Barnett. Yeah. And Tyson Frizzell on paper. Yep. And how does that fit with a, t- um, with a game that's moving very quickly when you've got three guys that are... Right, right. I understand. I understand. But but what, what I'm saying to you is you look at the team on paper and you go, actually, it's a decent team. I think decent maybe if they all play at their best and maybe two or three years ago. Like some of these players are on the downside and they'll do a good solid job. But that's exactly what they had this year, a good solid job. Yeah. I don't think what I saw, you got Mitchell Pierce, he's one of the better halfbacks in the comp. Yes, he's older and he's going backwards a little bit, slowly. But slowly, it's not a rapid decline for Mitch, Mitch Pierce, yeah. You know, they really struggled to score and everything centered around Mitch Pierce and a very controlled game plan. Same coach next year. How is that going to be any different? Yeah, I think you know? same level. I agree with you, same level. I think seventh is their, is their absolute peak. I, I can't see them yeah. getting better, and well, I think they need, if they want to progress, I think they need to change their game. Yes, because they just don't have enough points. They don't. The good, the, the positive for Newcastle next year is the side showed a lot of ticker and a lot of grit despite all the injuries and yeah. you know thrown out defensive lines and and consistency, and they still you know did all right defensively and had a. Pretty good and attitude. it's been a long time since the Knights have played finals, right? They, they played it the last two years. So so you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And it's quite a young back line. Yeah. I mean, assuming Mitch Pierce has moved on, yeah. it's quite a young back line. So maybe like you say, T, the, the forward pack is solid and on paper it does the job and the back line next year will improve because they're another year older and another year experienced. 
But it needs to give the backline freedom if you Absolutely. want to improve. Because under the new rules, they're stifled in attack. They're way too structured. I wouldn't say terrible signs for the Knights. They made the semis again. But like you say, I think they need to change the game plan and let free up their attacking talent to take another step forward. Or otherwise, they're just going to be around the same level. Oh, I agree with that. All right, let's move yep. on to the first week, the second week of the finals. Yep. Everyone's playing elimination games. There's only two games this weekend. First up yeah. is um, a game. Which game are you going to watch? I know you're, you've only got because you're so busy in lockdown. Um, you can only watch I one will game. choose to watch. Oh, I think I watch Manly and the Roosters. A replay because... of the 1984 Grand. No, Final. that was boring as hell. I'll um I will watch um I think I'll watch Manly versus Eagles. Manly versus Eagles. Manly versus the Roosters because I'm tipping Para and I don't want to sit there texting you at the same time about how good Parra is. Can I just say to you, lockdown or no lockdown, if we beat the Panthers this weekend after beating the Storm a few weeks yeah. ago, there is nowhere you will be able to hide from me. Oh, no, mate, don't worry. I'll be going for... I'll, I'll turn into a Melbourne Storm fan the week after, that's for sure. <laughs> mate, I'll be dressed in... I'm going to paint... My, I'll be dressed like Prince in Purple Rain. All right, first up, Manly versus... The Roosters on Friday yep. night. Manly are a dollar thirty-one favourites. The Roosters are three dollars fifty outsiders. The Roosters have ten and a half point start. If Tommy Turbo shows up, Manly will win this comfortably, in my opinion. Yep. If the Roosters are and the Roosters are capable of this defensively, if they can do, if they can keep Tommy Turbo mm. quiet, the Roosters have a shot. I don't think. I don't think the rest of Mel of uh, the Sea Eagles can beat. The Roosters, even though they've got all those injuries, I just think they are so heavily reliant on Tommy Turbo. I think they are. I, I think this is going to be a lot closer than they think. I think the Roosters' defence is gritty. Uh, no, I think if Tommy Turbo has 250 metres, three try assists, a try, if he has that type of game, I don't think the Roosters have got any chance, right? I don't. I, don't, I think. I think Manly could rack up a score against them if Tommy Turbo, if they can have a game plan like Melbourne did where they keep Tommy Turbo quiet and they're relying on DCE, Kieran Foran, Saab and Ruben Garrick to, to win the game for yep. them. I'm not sure that's going to challenge the Roosters' defence enough. I think it's going to be an even game. I, I think the matchups suit the Roosters defensively. I, I think where they are weaker in defence, man, that's not necessarily Manly's strong point like Daniel Tupu matches up relatively well with Saab especially height wise yeah it's the other wing that's the other wing that's the problem for them well Ikevalu but Ikevalu is up wing. against Garrick but then Brad Parker and Josh Morris they kind of even each other out like I wouldn't say they have a, a huge advantage Manly but where they can that, that Brett Morris injury if Brett Morris is on the wing next to his brother that's a good defensive unit yeah. right yep. that, that, that is you know that becomes hard Ikevalu he's trying his heart out but he's he lacks a bit of pace. People aren't talking about him, mate. He's he, he had as, as bad a game as Morgan Harper. Yeah, but see, Harper is up against Kieran. Kieran's an um, inexperienced centre, but Morgan Harper isn't a speed demon or anything like that. So Kieran, you know, should be able to handle. No, they're him. both. They'll cancel each other out because Morgan Harper doesn't doesn't attack. He's attack. He's defensively very good, but not as good as an attack. You're right. I think it's really about how the Roosters defend Tommy Turbo, but I also think Trebojevic has got to mix up his game a little bit. Like you saw a couple of times against Melbourne where he tried the same stuff he was trying a couple of weeks ago against shitty defenses and just stepping past six blokes. And guess what? He got smashed. It didn't work. 
Yeah, but that's what I'm saying to you, G. If if to- you, you take Tommy Turbo out of the Manly side, okay, and then have a look at the rest of the team. Is that team better than the Roosters, the rest of that team? Maybe, maybe not. It is 50-50, I think it's 50-50. It 50-50. They will have some better. players that are a bit better, but then the Roosters are better in other areas. In fact... Sure, but you insert, you insert Tommy Turbo playing the way he has been, then I think Manly's... Comfortably the better. I'm going to tip Manly because I think I'm expecting Tommy Turbo and Hasler to kind of adjust a little bit based on last week's performance against the Storm and probably use him a little bit dif- differently. Um, so And I think they'll have enough class that way to bust the Roosters' defence a couple of times. They'll create enough danger to score a few tries against the Roosters and the Roosters are too reliant now on some Jimmy Tedesco magic to try and keep them up. And I, I just think that he won't have enough to beat Manly, and I, that's why I'm tipping Manly. But if Turbo struggles, I think Tedesco will have enough of an impact to take the Roosters home. To be quite honest, because the rest of the I, I agree, I agree. The rest of the team T for the Roosters are solid. They've got some great players. They're gritty. They're going to be tough. They're going to turn up if they hold Manly well and hold Tom Trebojevic well. Tedesco will have enough to 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 help them win. But I'm tipping Manly because I'm expecting Tommy Turbo to come back with a, a different game this week. Correct. So I think it'll just. I, I agree. I agree with your analysis. I think it'll be Easts just or Manly by a lot. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think there's a scenario where Manly win by a little bit, right? Because I think if Manly are in front, that means Tommy Turbo's playing well and they'll put points on. Tommy Turbo's having a quiet game or is injured or for whatever reason he's not there. Then I think. Then I think the Roosters will go. Yeah, I, I, they've been sensational and look, they're, they're experienced across the park. They shouldn't be where they are now. They shouldn't be where they are now. You know, Isaac Liu, Warrior Hargraves, Radley was fantastic. They got Crichton. They still have some class in that side, you know. So oh, tacky. Yeah. So good side. It'll be a good game, I think. Good. Game. I think. I think Sam Verrills could be a big out though. Yes, they will miss Sam Verrills in the middle of the yeah, ruck so for sure. That, that, yeah. Yeah. That's right. So okay, the next game is the blockbuster, the barnstormer. Oh, please. You forget what finals feels like. I do, actually. Yes, I do. do, We haven't played a meaningful game since 2015. That's a long time ago. It is a long time ago. So it's the Panthers up against Para. Panthers are $1.25 favourites. Para are $4 outsiders and Para have 12.5 points start. I, gee, I think we're a chance. I think we're a chance. I think Penrith rightfully start out as favourites. I think if Para play the way they did against Newcastle, they'll lose. (laughs) I think if Para play the way they did against the Storm a few weeks ago, they'll win. I think this game... So it's a bit like tennis, right? I think this game will be won and lost off Para's racket. So it depends on which Para shows up. Yes. If if if, if Para shows up like they did against the mm. Storm, I think Penrith are there for the taking. If Para are at 80% as opposed to 100%, then I, then I think the Panthers will probably get them. I think Penrith is there to be taken. I really do. I think they're they're wobbling. They've wobbled for a while. What they do against the easy beats isn't quite working. They're a bit lost in attack. The combination between Luai and Cleary isn't as instinctive and as incisive as it used to be. It's not as ad-lib either. I think they're playing a little bit more of a methodical game and they're not as, you know, follow each other through the ball and play off that as much. And I think that's hampered their style. And I think once their game plan's not working, they're lost. And what I saw against Melbourne, or not Melbourne, sorry, South, was even when they made a bust, they didn't quite have the pace to finish it off anymore. And I think they're athletic across the field, but for some reason, they don't seem as fast as they were last year. I don't know what it is, fatigue, they've played two years, in a row. I don't know, but... And you're also stepping up in the semis. Now you're playing the elite teams, right? So it's probably... But they don't have that breakaway speed anymore. And gee, one thing you can't discount is 
they're, they're in this bubble in Queensland. Some teams are just getting along better and it's working for them better than others in the bubble, right? Could be that, but, uh, you know, I also look at Para, and Para's susceptible to outright sheer speed, right? But defensively, when they're switched on, they're gritty, their scrambling defence is great. Gutherson's a fantastic defensive fullback, more so his anticipation He's always kind of in the right place. He reads the game very well in defense and attack. His, his anticipation and reading of the game is, is fantastic. They're hard to beat Para, right? If they're switched on defensively, they are very difficult to break down. And if Penrith gets through, they need to make those line breaks count. And Para has stepped up against them and, and Melbourne this year. So the way I'm seeing this game is basically I'm expecting Para to turn up and defensively be rock solid and have no holes. And I think Penrith needs to play like the Penrith of old to beat them. And my concern is I don't know if Penrith can do that now all of a sudden. They haven't looked like the same team for a couple of months. And I'm not sure they can all of a sudden yeah, switch and- it on. I really don't. And it would be very, it would be very Parramatta like to play the Panthers into four. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I know Para had a B side, but Penrith I thought struggled for a lot of that game until eventually Para's B team almost ran out of petrol, and then they torched them right towards the end. Yeah, up until the first half, I thought Para was quite good. I, the Panthers have, there's no doubt the Panthers haven't looked as fluid as they did earlier in the season. But defensively, Para needs to. Sh- what I'm saying to you is, I don't think it's it's not going to be Para's attack that wins. No, this no, game. it's a defense. I think if yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's if Para's defense shows up. And you can keep the Panthers to 16 points. I, I think Para can get to Now, on the flip side, if Para shows up defensively, they need to... Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses need to be really aggressive running the ball. They really do because now they've got Blake and Penasini. They've got a little bit more pace and a bit of strike power on the, in the centres. They need to give those two guys a bit of room to move. They can step some of the Penrith players, but they need space. I think Dylan Edwards is going to make a big difference as well to that back line for the Panthers. Mate, I, I just... Don't see it with Penrith this year. Last year, they played at a speed and a tempo where... But variety. And earlier this year, they looked incredible. And it's almost like they're more reliant now on a systematic style of play and not being as instinctive and throwing different things at the defense. And I think if Para turns up, that, that, that'll that be there to their detriment. And Para's become a little bit more aggressive in attack and they'll have enough to score a few points. So, look, I'm tipping Para. Can't see the Panthers flipping a switch all of a sudden. It's been too long. And I just can't see it happening. So I'm tipping Parramatta. Okay. I am too. But it could just be... I wouldn't take my tip in the Eels games at all around finals time because it just could be blind hope. All right. That brings us to the close of another GNT show. Thank you once again. And and, and on behalf of the community, G, I want to thank you for giving up your space at Belmore Car Park so that we can have New South Wales's first drive-through vaccination Hub. It's all about vaccination, vaccination, vaccination. I think that was that was just a selfless act. Well done. Thank you. I will no longer be turning up to our podcasts and I will um, be doing them every three months. Well, most of our listeners won't be able to tell. See ya. See ya, mate. Bye.